severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I'm, of course, your host, Jamie McKinley, and I'm recording this week's intro on my evening walk, actually. So I'm basically, yes, ripping off Adam Buxton and recording it while out walking uh, on my phone. So you can hear the love. How nice is this sound, though? That's beautiful, isn't it? It's a, it's a lovely night. I can hear, like, my footsteps on, on, on the record. Um, no, it's been a really hectic week, and I, I thought I'd just kill two birds with one stone and record this week's intro while I was on my walk. I'm actually going to be moving to Glasgow for a few weeks because I've got a really, really exciting opportunity, which I will share more with in future episodes because I don't want to say anything about it right now before I start. Just we'll let see what happens. But yeah, really exciting. But I might not be doing the intro next week. It might well be Elliot that does it because I'm going to be really busy for a few weeks. But the episodes will still be coming out on a Tuesday. That won't change. We record way, way ahead. So lots of great conversations coming up. And also, speaking of great conversations, we have a huge back catalogue now. So there's lots of episodes recorded. So if you're a new listener or if you've been listening for a few weeks and haven't caught up yet, make sure to go back and check out some of our older episodes. There's some great conversations there. And even if maybe not if you're creative and and they're maybe not the same sort of role you're interested in we make all our episodes really transferable i think they're all sort of applicable to anyone you know even if you're not into the the arts and stuff there's some really interesting chats so yeah be sure to go and check them out um i'm trying to think if there's anything else i need to plug in the intro i don't think so um how about i just introduce this week's episode jamie that would be a good idea yes it would um i'm talking i feel a bit more flustered than usual uh, getting some weird looks on my walk like fuck it but yes this week's episode is really really good um and speaking to us on the podcast this week is talented playwright and actor jamie formburn and i recorded this episode way back in march so yeah it was a while ago now but really really enjoyed this conversation with jamie i got to read his play deconstruction before speaking to him which was honestly brilliant i think it's going to make a really good bit of theater and i'm excited to see where he takes the play um, but I'll let you hear him talk about it obviously and yes Jamie's also a fellow Pfeiffer which is always a bonus to have on the podcast there's always something special about getting to speak to people from the same place as me but yeah I hope you enjoy this week's conversation and I hope you en- enjoyed the nice sound of being outside it's quite fun I could see why Adam Buxton does this every week it's really nice to, to do the podcast not being in the house for once but yeah I'll let you hear the sound of my lovely footsteps and I hope you enjoy this week's episode I've just got a real job. Hello, Jamie. How's it going? Nice to see you. Not bad, mate. How are you? I'm grand. I'm grand. I, I was just telling you before we started, I've, I've been hiking in the Pentlands with a popular guest on the podcast, Mr. Leo Elifardis. Uh, Elifardis. I've said his name wrong for the ninth time on this podcast, so I'm not going to be in the good books. But um, he was telling me about how you two have like an, an enemy thing going on whenever you're on a set together. He's famous among the, the acting classes. Everybody knows him and everybody loves him. He was telling me that you guys have a sort of thing where you just pretend to be like arch enemies or something, which is hilarious. But it sounds maybe like it's a one-sided thing. Well, to be fair, I do give him it as bad as he gives me. And <laughs> people around that don't know just sort of look at us like, oh my God, they're really arguing. 
but yeah. <laughs> we're not. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, Jamie. You're also the first fellow Jamie to be on the podcast, so that's you know, uh, it's nice that Jamie United of the Jamies, Jamie's United, I should say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good name. But I've also just read your play today, which we'll, we'll come on to. We'll talk about. We'll obviously be talking about that. But you're also an actor, so yeah, we we got plenty of stuff to talk about. But yeah, we like to sort of start the podcast by asking our guests, like, what are your earliest creative memories? A couple from primary school. I knew you were going to ask this, so <laughs> you've listened before, which I appreciate. By the way, I I, I know you'd listened a few episodes, so thanks for that. So I had to have a wee think to myself and. There's a couple. One, I actually remember being in the nativity play in primary school. Not all of it, but I, I just remember, I think I was one of the three wise men. I remember standing up and having all the parents there. And I just remember thinking, that's really weird. Like, I'm standing here and everybody's just watching me say words. And then I was in Oliver in primary school and I was Mr. Bumble. And I remember that pretty well. So fun and games. But did you know at that point as a child, like, were you like, I quite like this performance stuff. I'm going to be an actor. Or was it, were you still not really sure at that point? And Oliver, yeah, I loved it. Just because I had to stand on top of this box and deliver, like, Mr. Bumble's speeches to the orphans. And yeah, I don't know what it was. Maybe maybe it was an ego thing of everybody's watching me. Um, <laughs> but it was just, it was just really cool. So I knew, I knew I had a very keen interest in it I would I don't know if I had maybe said to myself I want this as a career but I definitely had an interest in it yeah and were you like watching things on the tv and things like that like act performances or anything then thinking or, or seeing plays and thinking I really like this like what they're doing I want to be part of that not that I can really remember uh mum and dad always watch like classic films so my dad used to let me watch like really good films with, like Robert De Niro in it and stuff like that and if there was a good actor on the telly he would point it out to me because he knew I was interested in it. But I was never really going to see or anything. I did go and see The Singing Kettle. Oh, The Singing Kettle stage. is an absolute classic. I think they're from Fife as well, aren't they? That is where they're, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love The Singing Kettle. That's one of my first memories as well. And uh, other than that, I think we went to the pantomime at Christmas in Kirkcaldy. And I was, do you know how like all the kids shout, he's behind you and all this? <laughs> yeah. I was in the front row so overdramatic, like screaming it. Even when there was dead <laughs> silence, I was like, he's behind you. So I was always getting lost in it. No, that that's funny. But I mean, the question I asked you about watching stuff, like to be fair, like I think as a kid, you don't really think about stuff. Things are just odd and you enjoy them. I don't think most kids are only thinking like, when I go on Jamie's podcast in you know 20 years, I need to think of this answer. Like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I was always like, if I found something that I liked, I would watch it religiously. We had the Disney Channel and um, Home Improvements was on. I don't know if you ever watched that. I never had the Disney Channel. The I just had, I had to go around to a friend's house. And if sometimes I'd be like, yes, I get to watch some Disney Channel for a few hours. <laughs> it was Tim Allen, the guy who voices Buzz Lightyear. Mm-hmm. And it was basically just a comedy about that. And I watched that religiously. So if I found something that I liked, I would always just watch it consistently. Yeah, no, I was I did that with stuff. I feel like if I got into something, it, it became every. I got really into it. It became like my whole life became that thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I, I get I totally get that. Well, Jamie, you are a fellow Fifer, so which is nice. You're from you're from Kinghorn, which has that is correct, right? I've not got that wrong. Yeah, 
Yeah, I was like, I would if I was so confident about that that I felt like if I'd got it wrong, I would be really <laughs> embarrassed. But uh, I love Kinghorn. Um, it's one of my, it's my favorite beach in the world. I love the beach there. But it is, uh, it's lovely. Yeah, no, it's really nice. But like with something else, we sort of ask everyone that that comes on the podcast is like, how is where you're from? How has that sort of had an impact on you as a creative person and as an actor and stuff? I'm not sure. Kinghorn's really small. Certainly, when I was growing up, everybody knew everyone. Yeah. So there was a real sense of community and there was pantomimes every year, which I was in. So there was always that. And I knew from age that these people were writing the pantomimes. They weren't just ones that they had bought the script for. Somebody wrote them. Somebody was writing the music to them and all that sort of stuff. So I knew that that was a sort of creative thing. But in terms of Kinghorn influencing me, I'm not 100% sure that there was much influence from Kinghorn, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's fair, and it, I mean it is a very small place, and that, by the sea and stuff as well, though, which is nice. And like I suppose that like any coastal town probably does have that sort of thing where there's, there's you know it's very, it's just a very small place. There is not so a lot of things going on creatively. Yeah, even it was. Uh, this is really I don't know if it's morbid or or what, but I always say that Kinghorn's a really good place to grow up, and then a really good place to retire, like, <laughs> and. So it's a good place to start and a place to finish. But the, that sort of in between, there's not much going on. Yeah. Because it was always really safe, and nice and that. Yeah, and it's just lovely, slow-paced for retired people. But in the middle, there's not really much going on. Yeah. I used to sort of say that about Glen Rothes and about Fife in general, actually. I, I feel like that's still how I feel. I'm like, maybe maybe I would retire in Fife. But I feel like right now, I'm just like, there's not a lot in the place in general, for me anyway. So I do totally get what you're saying about that. It's a, also a very working class place as well. Yeah. Like island villages all around. So I don't think theatre and all that sort of stuff is a high priority because it was more of working class. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that's something I would I would like to, to see more of. And I mean, who knows now with COVID and everything, the effect it's had on sort of arts and the theatre in particular. But I would love to see more things come to Fife and I would love to see more of Fife on screen. And it's something I love about the play we're going to talk about soon is, you know, you'd really much, you'd very much told your story about where you're from and representing people you work with and, you know, what you, your sort of own background, which is brilliant. And I want, I really do hope we can see more of that because these places that are abandoned, like, or don't have the same representation, I think they suffer for it. And I'd love to see more of that being resolved. They do suffer because the same cycles just repeat themselves. Yeah. And it's almost as if because nobody's holding a mirror up to certain things, they're just allowed to repeat. So if there was more creativity and, and theatre and things like that, telling the stories from these places, maybe it would change people's viewpoints and it would make people reflect on themselves a little bit more. Definitely, because, you know, art makes you think and we don't always get that chance to have that sort of time when we don't have the access to it or like you know we don't get to see it so especially i think if you just go to the cinema all the time and you watch things about helicopters and you know war films and all that stuff like that i'm sure they're great and you can escape in them but i know i think it's great if you say you're from five and you get to go and see a film that's set there i think that would be much more impactful a hundred percent me personally i find it really hard to connect with like sci-fi and big blockbuster action films and things like that i like more realism and nitty-gritty and real stories and things like that that's what I connect with so maybe maybe that is because of my background and where I grew up and things like that but I just find it really hard to connect with things that aren't real to me yeah because the whole times even Lord of the Rings and things like that the whole time I'm sat there 
And although it's, it's beautiful on the screen and the acting's really nice, the whole time I'm just sitting thinking, but that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally, I absolutely 100% agree with that, especially as a writer, I always try and my work tends to be based more on realism and things. And I still find that stuff interesting. I still, enjoy, I can enjoy like the blockbuster, but I don't connect with it the same way I connect with that I can, you know, relate to. And so I, I totally get that. It's something I'm trying to change as well, because myself and my girlfriend watched Game of Thrones, which I really enjoyed. Mm, and I'm just good. trying to put that part of my brain that's sitting thinking yeah. that to the side, because it does limit me and does limit what I'm watching and, and learning. So I'm just trying to park that to the side for a little bit. No, I, to- I, get, I totally get that. But it's not a bad thing either. It's good to have like... It's good to enjoy the realism stuff. But um, I'm very excited for this question, actually, which because I'm hoping it's a, a phrase I'm familiar with, but we sort of ask everyone, like, do you have a favourite word or phrase from where you're from? Uh, well, my dad's is full of Scottish words mm-hmm. and full of Scottish phrases. Probably my favourite one is away and bow your head. <laughs> uh, I, I like that phrase. And in terms of a word, probably oxter. Um, oxter? Eam, yeah, Oxter armpit. I don't know that one. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that one. Really? Yeah, I genuinely have never heard that one. That is a surprise to me. Oh, mate, you're getting an education tonight. I am. I feel like I've betrayed my roots or something. Maybe I've been in Edinburgh too long. <laughs> <laughs> Edinburgh's taking over me. Edinburgh's I know. Over. That's six years here. I'm, I'm losing my, inherit- my heritage. <laughs> the Fifers will not be happy. <laughs> I know, a fraud. <laughs> Not at all. No. What was the other word there? Sorry, I got caught up in the one I didn't know. In. In. Eyes. Yeah, I know in. that one. I've heard that one before. So I get a point at least. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, the reason this is, the part of me is like, do I tell this story or not? It's going to say a lot about my family. My dad, so there were seven siblings on my dad's side and him and his brother, were closest in age. His brother was slightly older. And on the way home from school, and just at any point when my dad and granddad weren't around, my uncle used to soak my dad's eyes. I don't know why. And it, it caused them to have black eyes. I think it was just a form of torture wow. uh, in their wow. early teens. Yeah, I know. So he had two <laughs> massive black eyes, like for months. I kept going, who's hitting you? who's hitting you? And he was like, no, no, I'm just getting hit with the ball at football. I'm not very good at football and all this. And on my dad's, the night before my mum and dad's wedding, they told my gran and my gran was going to kill my uncle for abusing my dad. <laughs> it, was fu- it was funny, like she was going mental. It's, it's a big joke in the family. So that's why I like the word Ian. <laughs> that's a good, it's a good word. It's a good story as well. <laughs> a strange one, but a good one. Uh, it's, it's a very strange one. It says a lot about my family. Mate. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of amazing phrases in your play, which I really enjoyed, which I mean, we'll come on to that more soon, but there was a lot of like nice, familiar, there's a few Fife words in there as well. And I was like, oh, that's making me quite nice. You're making me miss home when I was reading it. So it was good. Yeah. I, d- I didn't even realise that I had put a lot of it in. It was when you said to me today, miss the kingdom. I was yeah. like, oh, I must have used a lot of, a lot of Fife. It's just natural for it to come out. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, because we're not, obviously we're in lockdown still and like we're not allowed to travel. So I've not been home for a few months. And, uh, you know, it was making me like kind of want to go home a bit and just visit the whole visit where you're from. Because this is a weird time where you sort of can't go places. So I think art is even more uh, powerful than it maybe used to be for me. Absolutely. And it is, don't get me wrong, I get slagged 
for being from Fife. Oh, me too, mate. Me so too. Badly. Jeez, I didn't realise how, particularly since I moved to Edinburgh, I did not realise that how much the rest of Scotland just get get onto Fife. And I'm like, go on, lads, give us a chance. I know. Even going on construction sites and everything like that, when they find out you're a Fifer, it's, yeah. you get some slagging. Like, but you go back and everybody's really nice. Yeah. Right. Well, the majority of people, not obviously there's going to be reprobates wherever you go, but uh, yeah. the majority of people in Fife are lovely. And my mum always said, like, sort of the rougher areas, like Carden Dens or back in the day was a slightly rougher area. But she says, where the nicest people are, and they're just so salt of the earth, and they would give you the shirt off their back, even though they've not got another one, sort of thing. Yeah. So I do enjoy going back to Fife. It's nice. Yeah. We just seem to get a kick in for whatever reason. I know. Where are you based now? Yeah, Livingston. I stay in Livingston ah, okay. with my girlfriend. Oh, very nice. Very nice. I wasn't sure if you were still based in the kingdom or not, but no, that's fair. But I yeah, shall we... return one day. <laughs> to retire. <laughs> yeah, to retire. Well, yeah. You know what, what's been brilliant is doing the podcast. I think you maybe are the maybe the ninth person we've had on that's from Fife. And it's been great to have these conversations with people, creative people that are from that, with the same area you're from. It, it, it fills me with a lot of hope for the future as well, that we can all give back eventually. Yeah, absolutely. It's being from Fife, it's, I'm proud to be from Fife. Yeah. So... There's a lot of people who maybe don't sh- shout it from the rooftops. Maybe it's because of, maybe it's a Fife thing, but I'm quite proud to be from Fife. Yeah, no, it's, it's something I certainly don't hide from. And, you know, I hope um, I do really want, as I've said, many people, the listeners have heard this loads. They're like, we know, Jamie, we know you want to make a film set in Fife. We get it, mate. You can stop going on a bit on your podcast there. But um, it's true. I really do want to put it on screen one day. So fingers crossed we can do that. But yeah. Anyway, Jamie, well, let's sort of talk a bit more about your uh, your journey as an actor and stuff. So as a teenager, I know you actually, you worked in construction for a lot of your early, t- I know you still work there now, but like you were sort of just sort of worked in construction in your early 20s and stuff. How did you get into the acting stuff? How did that come about? So I dived right into it in high school. I went through standard grade, higher, advanced higher, loved it. In advanced higher, I'm not the most academic person. I'm dyslexic, so I always struggled with writing oh, and stuff. Yeah. Totally relate. Um, so my advanced higher drama teacher was like, look, why don't we just remove you from all the written stuff and that stress and you can just do all the practical stuff and basically spend most of your time on that because that's what you want to do, which I loved. We had write a play. I really enjoyed that. Just the whole experience. So straight after school, I went to college to do my HNC, HND, which... God knows how I passed. Yeah. Genuinely, I was. And to be fair, most of the class were only there to party. <laughs> it was a riot. And I think we didn't take it seriously enough. I didn't learn enough. I didn't put in enough effort. But I enjoyed um, doing plays and, and learning the small amount that I did was fun. And then after I graduated from college, it was sort of like, I need to get a real job. And my friend Colin was working on the Queen's Ferry Crossing at the time and was able to get me a job there just because I was working part-time in Curry's. So it wasn't really enough to pay the bills. So from 2013 to 2017, I was on the bridge. It was a great experience. I loved it. The whole time I was doing amateur dramatics and stuff like that. So I was continuously acting. And I was applying for unis. Well, I was applying for the conservatoire. I had it in my head that I, I just wanted to go to the conservatoire and that was it. Yeah. And really I wasted so much time with that mindset. I think it was sort of like a snobbish mindset because 
everybody's been to the conservatoire and are you an actor if you've not got that sort of education? But I learned so much from going to Napier. And a part of me thinks that if I had went when I was younger, I wouldn't have learned much. I would have continued my behaviour from college. So maybe that gap in yeah. between and becoming an adult yeah. did me the good. No, absolutely. And I think, I don't know if you know Daniel Reynolds, but he was on the podcast a few weeks ago and, and we had a sort of similar conversation. We talked about life experience and how much life experience has helped him as an actor and as a creative. And I think there's a lot of currency in life experience that people don't always value, don't, not, they do value it, but I don't think people think about it because there's a lot of pressure to, you go and do this after high school, you go straight to this, you go straight to uni. And I think there's actually a lot to be said for people that have a few years and work a bit and, and do other things and then come into the, what the creative field, because I think that really gives them a, a bit of, it makes them stand out in a way because it gives you that extra bit of knowledge about the world. Absolutely. When I eventually did go to university. It was a case of, I'm deadly serious about this. I didn't really, I'm not much of a drinker anyway, but I didn't go out drinking really at all when I was at university. I, I, I loved going in. I was always in like an hour early just because I loved being there. It was great. The idea of going into uni and learning all day about something that I absolutely loved was just great, considering a year before I had been on a construction site. So yeah, it was it was great to go back. And that life experience really did serve me well, to be honest. So, and at the time when I was in construction and on the bridge and things like that, I thought I was missing out and I was like, oh, I need to be doing that. I'm not going to get to where I want if I'm, if I'm not there this year and things like that. But in hindsight, I think I've, I, I did it the right way. And like everyone's different. And like, for example, I've not really had big chunks of time. I went straight to, I went straight to Queen Margaret, did my undergrad in theatre and film. And then I had a year out between my master's and that. And I think having had the undergrad, having had the year out, I was so much better for doing my master's because I felt like I understood things a bit more and I knew what working was like. I'd grown up a bit. I was like, I wanted to learn. So I think I kind of get what you mean. Like you maybe just have that, you're a bit more focused. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that, as you say, everybody's different. So that's not for everyone. In my class, the majority of people there were younger between the ages of 20 and sort of 23. I think myself and Rebecca were the oldest in the class and the work ethic of some of the younger classmates was unreal. If I had been their age at uni, I would not have been able to achieve what they did. Yeah. But I, I was blown away at that. And that sort of spurred me on because I was constantly, I wasn't competing with them, but it was sort of like, okay, they're raising the bar, so I need to step up to the bar and they're really high. So it was, it was motivation sort of thing to keep me on course, if you like. Yeah, no, I totally get you. And just to be, clarify, like, I'm not, this was not me having to go anyone that does go straight to uni or anything. Like, as I say, I'm, I was like that myself. I just think that there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of people put themselves down who maybe didn't go in straight into education or who maybe got into acting or, or got into being creative when they're older. I just, I was, my, my main point was just, there's nothing wrong with that. And like, everyone has a different path and that's okay. That was my sort of main point there. Yeah, no, absolutely. A hundred, a hundred percent. You say everybody's different, so everybody's journey is going to be different and I was I was in that camp on sites going this is rubbish <laughs> yeah I need to be progressing and I'm not progressing and more power to people who can go straight out of school I think I was immature in my early 20s so I wouldn't have benefited from going to uni and yeah. I, I chose the right path so the people who can go I've got friends who went straight to uni and that takes guts and it seems to be the norm, as you said, it's just expected that you leave school, you go to uni and you follow through. But 
that was that's that's a scary thought. I actually got oh, yeah. into a uni in England when I was seventeen. I got accepted before I left school uh, with an unconditional, and I turned it down just through fear. Uh, I'm glad I did, like because it wasn't sort of the best course for what I wanted to do. It was more written based, so I made the right decision. But it was mainly made out of fear and thinking I'm not ready for this sort of thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, I appreciate how open you're being on the podcast so far as well, Joe. I appreciate that you've been open about how you felt about things and all that. It's, it's great that you're have, able to have this conversation with us because I think I love having, you know, conversation where you're just being honest about your experience because I think it benefits the listeners a lot. Absolutely. it's There's no point trying to make everything sound rosy. Yeah. It's the mistakes that you learn from and, and all that sort of stuff. Looking back and being able to go, right, I wasn't focused at that point. I wasn't mature and ready for it at that point helps you recognizing all those things yeah well before i sort of ask you about like more of the acting stuff i just just wanted to wind back a second because i wanted to touch on something you talked about how you're dyslexic because i haven't actually had a chance to really talk about this on the podcast yet because i'm also dyslexic i just wanted to sort of touch on it with you just and i love that thing you said about the teacher understood your strengths and she really helped you I, i loved that yeah, I didn't know I was dyslexic until I was fourth year, I think, because when I was at primary school, every parents' night, my teachers would say, Jamie doesn't pay attention, Jamie's work isn't up to par, all that sort of stuff, he's behind in class, and every year my mum would say, is he dyslexic? And they said, well, he just doesn't concentrate, he doesn't work to the same standard as everyone else. So I was getting in trouble for that after every parents' night. And then eventually when I went to university, there was some of the same criticism, but then in fourth year, there was a obviously the learning support department took me out and basically tested me and I'm dyslexic. So at first, I didn't want any sort of help because I didn't want to appear different. Yeah. Because I was like, if I get taken out of classes, I'm standing out for a bad thing, if you know what I mean. It's, it's one thing to be mocked for, or in my head, that's what I thought. But eventually, I went along with it and I wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't have got the grades if it wasn't for the people in the learning support department taking me through that sort of stuff um, yeah. and and teachers understanding that I wasn't maybe as strong at certain things so yeah it was good I should have accepted it a lot a lot sooner it's hard though I totally get what you mean about the standing out and being different so do you you were diagnosed in university you were saying that was fourth year of uni no sorry fourth year of high school fourth year of school yeah which is still quite late but it happens a lot like I was the same um I think I was in high school anyway. I think there was maybe noticed something wasn't right in primary school, which I'm a bit luckier than you in this. It was picked up quicker. But I still remember it wasn't really till first or second year high school that people really, you know, the support that I needed was put in place. So it is very frustrating. And I totally get what you mean. Like, especially in schools are a brutal place. Like, you don't want any more reason to give people ammunition to take the piss out. You're like... 100%. Like, I was quite, a, I was quite quiet at school. More quiet than I am now. So I, I didn't want any excuse to be different or stand out or or any of that and being taken away to do extra work or get a reader and scribe and things like that that was just for me I thought it was worse than it it was I'm sure everybody was sat not caring but in my head I was like oh my god I'm going to be mocked for this but it was good it fitted me at the end of the day absolutely like but a scribe was such a weird thing because I actually found the biggest frustration and I still find this because you know we're both we both write stuff as well which is amazing like absolute massive credit to both of us because to the fact that we're writing and things with dyslexia it just shows you like it, it doesn't define you and it doesn't have to stop you so anyone that's listening that is also dyslexic don't let it 
define you like it's you know you can overcome it but having a scribe is really frustrating because you, you want to write yourself and you're having to like try and explain what's in your head to someone else and then they write it for you and it's a really weird thing absolutely i had an english exam and the scribe sat and told me all the answers i would say <laughs> something and he would go that's not right you should you maybe mean this and i was like yeah okay <laughs> and he thought he was doing a good thing but it was just blatant cheating and I, I admitted to that I, I spoke to someone about it I was like look they're not my answers and it is frustrating because you want to put down your own things on the paper and my imagination works quite fast yeah so I always found that the scribe wasn't able to keep up with what was going on in my mind so I would lose half of it yeah so it's sort of I don't know if there's a way to to resolve it I don't know if it's no. different in schools now but that always sort of hindered me a little bit it's also like I remember once telling a personal essay and I'm like I don't want this woman to hear that this is private like I, I'm writing this and I, I don't really want to hear it out loud but they when they must have changed that because by the time I had a scribe so I'm a bit younger than you I think Jimmy but by the time we had a scribe they actually had to have another person in the room so there was two people in the room so somebody watching you like speak to someone else as they wrote your stuff down which was just really weird that is really weird yeah, I wouldn't be keen on that. No, but you know that's kind of the funnier side of it, laughing at it now. But I just sort of wanted to mention the dyslexia stuff because I think everyone, as we keep saying, everyone's different, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And like there is help if you ask for it, and it doesn't stop you from being a writer. It, it's frustrating, but I think you can overcome it by, um, you know, you just have to be honest. And I'm just lucky, for example, like I have great friends and family that will read my scripts and be like, nope, spell it wrong, change all this. So it's just an extra challenge, but you can still 100%. do it. The first draft of everything I write is riddled with so many errors. It's unreal, but it doesn't stop me. When I eventually realised that I could sort of write things that I wanted to and that the dyslexia wasn't going to hold me back, it was amazing. So so what if somebody's going to have to sit and decipher your spelling mistakes? It's fine. It's for the greater good. It's going to yeah. push you forward and learn. Yeah, it's great. Definitely. Well, Jamie, in 2018, you go to Napier is it Queen Margaret Napier and you do your acting course you do a degree in acting yeah it was it's the same course that Rebecca was on mm-hmm. flip between Queen Margaret and Napier and it's the acting for stage and screen course like I said earlier for a, such a long time only wanted to go to the conservatoire and I applied for the acting for stage and screen course I think it was the second year after it opened because one of the lecturers came to our college and had this big talk about how this was the next step for us and the course was created to follow on straight from college and things like that so I did audition at that point (laughs) wasn't very prepared and made a bit of an arse of it yeah but after that I only really applied for the conservatoire didn't get in didn't get in and then my friend Colin he was on the year above me and acting for stage and screen he said to me he said look the course is fantastic yeah the things that you will learn will blow your mind so I eventually did go and audition and got in I went to the audition to be in his year but I walked out of the audition because we were in the sort of holding room where everybody was like going over monologues and stuff like that and obviously my surname's Thorburn so I'm like one of the last to go in yeah. and as more people are coming out of their audition and the stress is gone, so the quiet in the room's gone and everybody's messing around. And at one point, they had a skipping rope 
and like in school where a person's got each end of the skipping rope, they had people in the middle doing that. And I was like, I can't do this. I was still like, I was still working in construction at the time. And I was like, this is just filled with people a lot younger than me. So I was, yeah. I got a bit annoyed and I just scored my name off the list and walked out. But I went back the next year and got in and it was, it's genuinely the best thing I've ever done. That course, yeah, 100% made me a better actor. No, that's amazing. And I think... Speaking of the edition room, I think Matt Boyle, who was a, a guest on episode six of the podcast, so we're going back a while now, it feels, you know, time's moved on fast, but, um, you know, Matt talked about in the episode how when he was in the audition for the same course, there was a lot of people messing about and, and being quite dramatic and he, and he found that off-putting, so I don't think you're the first person to say that. That must be a difficult thing about auditions as well, I imagine. It is, yeah, and I totally understand it because it is really stressful audition and, and when you finish, it's such a relief, especially if it's gone well or you think it's gone well. So coming back into the room, the adrenaline's going and all that sort of stuff. So I could understand it, but it was just for still waiting. It wasn't very good to have that, but it didn't happen the next year. The next year I took headphones and I just sat <laughs> with the headphones on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's good. So your time at university, you really, you enjoyed that, right? So you were, you did loads of different roles and things. Yeah, I loved it. As I say, I was used to working in construction all the time. So going from that, to Monday to Friday, all day, being in rehearsal rooms and learning about different techniques and different practitioners and things like that. I loved it. It was a, a joy to be in. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the really early starts, like some obviously some people aren't morning people. I'm not usually a morning person, but getting up and going into uni, I loved it. It was great. That's amazing. It's like amazing. It's always a great thing when you get to be around like many people and you get to sort of have the space to, to do. Make, you can make mistakes when you're studying something because it's like a free space to play around with creativity and things. So I do miss that amazing feeling of being in that space sometimes. Absolutely. It was great. And everybody was brilliant, like genuinely brilliant. And everybody was open to helping each other. And as you say, it was a safe space. And I'm always the last one to put my hand up in front of people. At times it was, if we had if we had to have something prepared for a class, it was a case of, right, first person up. It wasn't, the lecturer didn't really pick, right, okay, you go first, Matt, or you go first, Jamie. It was, we're adults here, first person up, second person up, you were just expect to walk up, and that terrified me. So I was always the last person to go up, or I tried to always be the last person. But when I eventually did get up, every time it was always fine and it was always a safe space and everybody always had constructive criticism and helped you work on the piece that you were doing. It was great. Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's always great to have that sort of free space to work in. And that's one of the best things about studying a creative course at uni. Because, you know, people, a lot of people, you don't need to study a creative course at uni. Some people don't and you can get a job. What I think one of the best things you get out of it is you get that space and you get to meet those people, which is always amazing. Hello, it's Jamie and Elliot here. I hope you're enjoying today's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I just wanted to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. So please, if you can, share us on social media, tell your friends and family to listen. You can also support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your help. So anything you can do to help us grow this project is very much appreciated. We do appreciate your support as always. And if you would like to contribute or donate to our podcast, we also have a Patreon page where you could donate as little or as much as you wish. You can access this by going to www patreon.com slash just get a real job so thank you very much again for all your support and you can also find a link to the patreon page in the show notes but anyway now back to today's show but jamie i will t- we'll come to your play now so obviously graduate last year in 
the weird and wonderful times we live in now, not particularly wonderful, but you know, we've got to be positive and COVID and stuff. So like, I know the course was kind of cut short in a way and you didn't get to do your grad shows and things, but in lockdown, you have sort of been able to find this amazing time to write this play. Yeah, we were meant to be on the fringe last year. That obviously didn't happen. And I had the idea to, I wanted to extend a play that I had written previously about the minor strikes in Fife. Mm-hmm. in 1984 I think it was it was originally a one act that I had done in an amateur dramatics group and I just thought I want to extend it a full length play but it wasn't really happening I wasn't really getting the motivation to do it and then I just had an idea after reading a play and I had an idea to write a story about construction and men's mental health within the construction industry and it's, it's sort of a, a taboo subject because although mental health is becoming more and more talked about and that's absolutely amazing I still personally think a lot of men don't want to talk about it or don't want to admit it or want to have their feelings talked about like that because it's maybe a sign of weakness yeah or maybe people think it's a sign of weakness so what better place to put that story than in the construction industry and which is still old school mentality of man up get on with it come on you're a man sort of thing yeah Definitely. And I know you still work in the construction industry at the moment. You're, you're working in it. So like it's like your day-to-day life almost. Yeah. After university, I thought I'll maybe have to go back to construction during the summer and then it'll be on the fringe and potentially other things after that. But Corona put a, an abrupt halt to that. So I was off for a period in the first lockdown, but then after that, I've just sort of worked through on sites. So yeah, it's back to back to that don't get me wrong it's given me a lot of ideas and stories for the play because 90 percent of it and 90 percent of the one-liners and situational stuff has come from real site mm-hmm. i can't take credit for a lot of one-liners because they came from guys just on sites yeah and it, the play is called deconstruction yeah which is a very uh, very very clever title i couldn't think of a title for <laughs> so long and i thought deconstruction was a terrible title no i like it um, but it's growing on me so I think it'll stay. Yeah. Well, don't worry, Jerry. As I said in the episode with my best friend, Liam, episode 13, I didn't come up with the name of this podcast, Just Get a Real Job. I hated it at first. He, he came up there, he suggested that. And now I couldn't imagine doing this. You know, I think titles are like that. I think titles definitely sort of, they grow in you. And, and the, the project itself becomes bigger than the title. And the title is just, you know, part a small part of it anyway. So, you know, t- titles are Absolutely. a weird thing. I think as well, if you have the title, the stories and a lot of the things within the project sort of relate back to that without it being on purpose. Yeah. Like a lot of, I know certainly in, in Rebecca's episode of the podcast, she was talking about, so I just went and got a real job. Yeah. So that that that's all to be a theme for mm-hmm. people. And it's just, as you say, you couldn't really imagine it having any other title. No. I, I mean, the Tortured Artist podcast would have been a terrible name for a podcast. We would not have had, <laughs> I genuinely think having this title is, brought a lot of new listeners in because it's it's quite catchy it's a snappy title and and we're and it's a very i think it very much tells the listener kind of what we're about and it really gets across the sort of message we have at the core of the podcast so my again i've given enough praise but a massive shout out to my, uh, my oldest friend liam for that title because i think you know it's a it's, i can't imagine it without it but I, as a writer as well like whenever i write a title i usually don't like them and then i as they sort of write more and more as you say, feeds into that as well. You're like, oh, actually, you know what? That title's okay. Or you come up with a title at the end of the script and you're like, oh, that works. So titles are a weird thing. They are. I don't think I've ever really liked a title straight off. Mm-hmm. 
it's always something that's grown on me. I don't know if that's maybe because after the rehearsal process and after it's been put on, I'm just sort of, I've got a nostalgia towards the title then. Yeah. But it does grow on me eventually. Yeah, definitely. Like some of the most famous bands, like they probably didn't even like their name. And now it's like, you can't imagine the band without having that. Do you know what I mean? They're just one of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. It becomes a brand. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> but I had the the pleasure, and I and I mean that when I say that. I I told you already, but I loved reading your play today. I read it all in a day, and it's ninety five pages or something. So that is actually a lot to read in a day, and I, I, it was so easy to read. And I really hope you can put it on because I genuinely found it like really refreshing to read. I loved what you've done with it. So fingers crossed, as soon as the lockdown ends, and if you can get some funding, that that people could, will be seeing this play very soon. Thank you very much for reading it again. By the way, it's I'm not. A trained writer in the slightest a lot of the time i feel like a fraud when i say that i'm a writer Mate. also it's, it's <laughs> i've got a blooming degree in screenwriting <laughs> and i feel like a fraud as a writer so don't worry at all <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things as well there's always an actor at a, a meet and greet or an event or something like that it's like yeah I, I do a bit of writing as well and it's or i've got this idea i'm going to write about it and but it's top secret so i can't tell you and it never transpires so yeah. i always just feel like people out there who have trained in this and gone through the hours and hours and hours of training so i sometimes just feel like a fraud but it's uh, i enjoy it i really enjoy it it's good yeah well I, I mean i think that's totally normal to feel like an imposter i mean i've got always i feel like i have imposter syndrome with most of the creative things i do but honestly like, i think the play is very good and I've, you'd said you've written a few plays before this one your first piece of writing yeah i Wrote a play in advanced hire, mm-hmm. uh, and I really, really enjoyed that. It was very Black Watch. <laughs> it was about the army and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was, it was very Black Watch. Um, and then, I about three years after college, I started in amateur dramatics. I didn't go sooner because, like, yeah. I'm always worried to first go along to places. Like, yeah. if you don't know anybody, I find that really daunting. So I eventually did go along, and about two years after I started. There's a one-act play festival that the SCDA put on, and you know, we obviously go into the fight first, and our society put in three plays each year, and they tried to do one original if somebody had written. Yeah. Um, and there was three plays up for it that year, and mine got picked. And I think it was sort of because it was myself, my best friend, and basically all the, the young people in the society. I think it was sort of, let's give the young people a shot, directing, acting, writing, putting it on whether or not they thought the play was any good or that we would produce a good piece of theatre we were given the opportunity to and we ended up with the two rounds of the play winning six of the 12 awards that could be like yeah achieved sort of thing and then the three years after that it was just sort of do you have another play Jamie I was like yes and it was just sort of affected that I would have a play sort of thing which must have been frustrating for the other people writing plays but I don't know I, I thought it was invaluable for um, becoming a better writer. Yeah, definitely. So you, you, learn, you learn for doing it. So, I mean, you're saying you're a fraud, but you, you'd written a lot of, that sounds like you'd written quite a few things then. And, and and when I read your play, it didn't read at all like you didn't know what you were doing. It was a very polished script. So you should be proud of yourself, man. Thank you very much. I always try to just keep it. I'm not very good at elaborate plots and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. I just try and keep it simple. It usually involves a lot of swearing, which maybe isn't the best. My mum always comments on that. So. <laughs> but in Fife, in working class environments, 
people swear a lot and most of my plays take place in working class environments so you're writing what you know and that's there's nothing wrong with that and like I, I think I'm one of my screenwriting mentors I think I've said this in the podcast before but Colin McLaren who's a very established Scottish screenwriter he's written films and stuff but uh, he always just said to me sometimes simple is best and I think that's very true and a lot of people don't, don't always go for simple and and that you know simple scripts are great and simple stories are great if the story is good it's good it doesn't matter what the plot is exactly yeah overcomplicating it can muddle the meaning yeah and you can be as well intentioned with your meaning and what you want to achieve but if you're trying to be too clever in the writing and the different storylines and things like that it can totally take away from it yeah definitely can well i hope the listeners will be able to, to see deconstruction in real life soon and hopefully in the next year this you know play goes a bit further because it deserves to be seen i definitely think and uh, as i said to you we're, we're, hopefully if that goes ahead we can do a special podcast about the play as well because i would love to do that but we'll see what happens I'd love to as well man um, thank you but, but jamie i've got a few fun questions for you a few quick fire acting questions and these are just a bit of fun so just kind of quick answer but um my first one is okay what it would be your dream if you could play anyone from history who would you play oh i'm going to say this but it can't happen because we're totally different. Conor McGregor. <laughs> That's a good like, answer. Obviously, it can't happen. I'm like 6'4 yeah. and a larger lad. But yeah. to have his confidence and like achieve things that he's achieved, even just to dive into that for a little bit of time would be amazing. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a good answer. Okay, another question for you is, who is like who are the actors? And not, it doesn't have to just be an actor, but who are the sort of people that influence you in the industry? Who are the people you look up to? In terms of actors, uh, Stephen Graham, Olivia Coleman, Denzel Washington, Daniel Day-Lewis, like actors like that, sort of closer to home, Martin Comston, Tommy Flanagan, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Good. Not necessarily um, the most high-profile actors. Stephen Graham, for example, I think he's, he's one of the most underrated oh, He's so underrated, actors, isn't he? And it's, it, it blows my mind. Everything he does is just fantastic and so i don't know if you've seen save me i haven't no i haven't seen it it was a mate it's so different from anything that he, he played up until that point and just it's so good uh, he's brilliant in this is england as well i'm superb oh amazing yeah very good actor there's the line boys now you're all quite welcome to just leave and leave now and never come back, and that's it, the end of it. But if you want to stay, this is a proper fight. Now, you only either cross that line and go your merry little way, or you stay where you are and you come with me. Choice is yours, boys. And some good answers, some good actors in there as well, some good answers. Another, another question I have, which is a fun one, is what is your favourite role you'd had the chance of playing so far? Our fourth year shows at university our show was james one by ronan row the key that keeps the lock that's terrible yeah. it is right <laughs> um, and i played murdoch who it's all real characters and stuff like that and i didn't want that character originally he's sort of the older character and I, I had this thing in my head where I was like, I don't just want to be the old character because I'm older. But that character surprised me. Like his struggle between 
his family and what he wants to do for the country and the, the good of the country was fascinating to dive into. Yeah. Brilliant. No, that that's I that I am I've seen photos of you you guys in this play. Obviously I didn't get I didn't see the play sadly in real life, but it looked very good fun to do. So yeah, hope I mean I hope you guys can all get acting again as well. So I imagine you must all miss it so much. I know it was a year yesterday oh, since I, theaters closed their doors. So yeah. I can't wait just to go to the theater again. Yeah. I know it's going to be fun to have it all back. But Jamie, my last of the quick fire question, which is a, a, my one of my favorite ones to always ask, is um, if you could have acted in any film, what would it be? Oh, can I was going to give you a, a film that isn't a male role, but I can't do that. You, no, you can't. I mean, you can. You can. I'd accept that as an answer. You can say what you want. Okay. Um, have you seen Room? You know, I haven't actually seen that, and I really want to see it. I know it looks really. I, well, I saw it on the. Tra- I've seen the trailer for it loads, and I've never got into watching it. Have you got Netflix? It's on Netflix. I know. I have no excuse. Yeah, no excuse. It is amazing, and I'm not going to give away any of it for you just because it's it's, it's so good. But it, they could have went so Hollywood with it, but they didn't. Yeah, and I think that makes it that makes sense when you watch it. But amazing, so good. If I could be half the actor of that young lad in that film. Yeah. I'd be very happy. He is phenomenal. No, that that is a really good answer. I love it when people give sort of more not obvious answers for these questions. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't mind whatever answer people give is fine. It's this, but like I like I do enjoy it when people give a more uh, an answer that people maybe haven't heard before. So it's like, oh, that's interesting. So no, so I enjoy. I always enjoy the quick fire round. So thank you for answering those questions. We're nearly at the end of the, the interview because I know we've been chat. I've been speaking to you for a good an hour and a bit. So I'll let you get away soon. Don't worry nearly there but one of my one of my last sort of questions for you is what is the sort of dream for you like what would you like to do do you sort of just be a comfortable actor and, and do acting stuff do you want to keep writing as well like what sort of where do your ambitions lie there i just uh, i would like to just make a living being creative yeah whether that be writing or acting or whatever i love acting that's my passion but obviously coming a big hollywood actor isn't written in the stars for everyone so even just work theatre as an actor like, I mean the Dundee Rep use the same sort of group of actors for the majority of their stuff yeah. and even just making a good wage as an actor in a theatre don't have to be a, fame isn't the goal just to not have to work on a construction site for the rest of my life I'm not saying at all that construction's a bad industry to be in there are guys who love their job and yeah. that's amazing but construction's not the dream for me so I just want to go to work in a job that I enjoy. Yeah. And you know what? The most, this answer is so common on the podcast. Whenever I ask this question, everyone's the same. I think we all just want to be able to be comfortable and, and do what we love as an actor or not an actor for me, obviously, but as a creative, I mean, like, you know, be able to do just to be comfortable and do what you enjoy for a living. So yeah, hopefully we all can. Exactly. I think as well that so many people go to work and aren't happy at their job. And it's like, is it worth it? Do you know what I mean? Is it worth it to do it for 50 years in a job that you hate just for money? I would, me personally, I would take a lower wage just to go like to bounce out of bed in the morning and be like, yes, I'm going to work. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and as I say, whenever I do this podcast, because sometimes I do worry people might take this podcast as sort of active aggression of like, you know, we're slagging off the real jobs. I'm not at all. I'm, I'm whatever makes people happy. I just want people to do what makes them happy. And I don't think as a society enough people do what makes them happy. And I think there's a big problem there. And also like, I'm actually envious of people that have real jobs. I say this all the time because often they're much more comfortable and stable than the industry we're in. 
So I'm actually kind of part of me sometimes wishes I was just I was happy to just go and do and work nine till five or something, but it wouldn't make me happy. So I'd I'd much rather not do it. A hundred percent. My mum has always said that it's going to sound brutal to start with. She always feels bad for me because a lot of people like I want to be an engineer, so they go get a degree and then become an engineer, or they they want yeah. to be a teacher, and it's here's the clear path. Yeah. Here's this: you will achieve and you will do a job that you love. And she's like, I just feel sorry for you because the one thing that you truly love, you're really good at, is so hard to obtain. Yeah. But it's worth trying. Exactly. And as long as you have the fire in the in there, I think, and you keep trying, I think, you know, it'll be okay. And we'll, you will probably land on your feet. So we'll, we'll both keep it up. We'll keep, we'll keep plugging away and we'll hopefully get there. Just get a real job. This segues us nicely into my next question, which is... Uh, we all have to work the jobs we don't like to to fund the art but what's the sort of worst part-time job you'd ever had to work um probably it was an acting job Mm -hmm. coming out of college there was a a theater company in dundee and angus and they were devising theater to take around schools and i god knows how i got it but they came and had a look at our class and do some things and i ended up getting it I think I was 18 and I was so unprepared. I just, just in terms of to handle that, to go in and I was expected to, after a little bit of training and devising and coming up with things to take this to schools and deliver a professional workshop for primary pupils. (laughs) And I was 18 years old going in and schools had paid for this. And I was just not good at it, just not good. And I didn't take it seriously. Like I was 18, so I was still going out with my mates till like three in the morning and then having to be up at eight to go and do that. I just, oh, I cringe every time I think about it because the lady who was sort of in charge worked for the National Theatre of Scotland and she was really quite influential at that time. And I think I just made a terrible, terrible uh, first impression, impression of myself. But I suppose we're all young. So yeah. you'll, and you learn from that at some exactly. point. Exactly. And you learn from all these experiences. So and that, that's what that's why I answer this. I also like to ask this question because I think one, when we ask this question, the listeners hear that you know they can relate to it. They know everyone's had to work jobs that they didn't particularly enjoy at some point in their life. And two, they know everyone's had bad experiences and, and, and you can learn from them. So yeah, I think that's a good example of that. 100%. We also, this is a whole other, you could do a whole other podcast on this topic, <laughs> but just to touch on it very slightly, we're in a sort of society now where on social media and it's only their best bits that they post. Absolutely. So people getting acting work and people doing this and achieving what you're trying to achieve. So yeah, as I like being able to say, well, I've got an acting job and I pissed it up the wall sort of thing. It's, um, I, yeah. Not that I'm shouting on social media about it, but I'm not going to lie about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. Well, Jamie, thank you very much for giving us your time and chatting and, and being so open about it and, and your experiences. I think it's really good for people to hear. And I just really love having these genuine connection people. It's it's a real joy for me. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me, man. I've really, really enjoyed it. Hopefully I've made some sense. You have. And I've not I, just rambled. Yeah, don't worry at all. But before I let you go... I have one more question for you, which is always a fun All one. Right. What advice would you give to anyone who maybe wants to get into acting or just anyone who's a creative that's maybe at the start of their career or who just wants to get into the arts or anything? Advice, uh, just work hard. If you're working as hard as you can, then that's all you can do. If if you're half arse in it, then you're going to get half arse results. But if you're putting the work in and, and taking it seriously, 
you'll get the results. It may take one year, it might take 10 years, but you'll get the results. You'll get what you put in. And I, I don't mean that in terms of take yourself seriously all the time, all that. You, you've got to have a laugh. You've got to have a laugh at your own expense and all that sort of stuff, but work for it. I think in my early 20s and that, I didn't put enough effort in and I didn't take it seriously enough. If I had, and I had been a little bit more mature, I could have been further on. Yeah. I'm not saying I'd be in Hollywood or anything like that, but I would have learned what I learned recently all that time ago. So I could have potentially been better at this age. So, but as we, as we spoke of, everybody takes their own path and everybody's, nobody's path is wrong. So. Yeah. yeah. And you wouldn't be where you are now without the path you took as well. So. Exactly. We wouldn't have had exactly. deconstruction. So there you go. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know, I don't want to, I know it sounds like one of those things like everything happens for a reason. I'm not sure if I 100% believe that, but I, I always love what my grand says, like what's for you won't go by. I, I, I truly believe that. So yeah, we all have our own path. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thank you very much for your time. It's been a real blast chatting to you. Anytime. Thank you very much. No problem at all. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I'm still recording the outro from outside on my walk like I was at the start. So you can still hear the, the lovely noises of the Braid Hills. Um, but yeah, thank you again to Jamie for chatting to us. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. It's great to see people like Jamie doing well for themselves and, and writing plays and stuff. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed what I had to say. And I look forward to whatever deconstruction goes next. I'm really, It's a great play and I'm really excited to see where it goes and yeah as always um, if you are enjoying the podcast be sure to give us a five-star review on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts. just wherever you listen to the podcast if you can leave a review that helps us to be seen and it goes a long way another thing you can do to help us keep growing is by uh, sharing us with your friends and family so if you can tell five friends to listen even one friend to listen that'd be much appreciated uh, if you think they'd enjoy it obviously don't just tell them to listen if they don't if it's not for them you know don't bother well maybe still bother if they click on it gets us a download another thing you can do to help us keep growing is by supporting our patreon page obviously we're a we're an independent podcast so we don't make any money from this we don't have any money so all the money we make from the patreon goes back into making the podcast and making it sound as good as we can me and Elliot put a lot of work into this for you guys so any support you can give us would be much appreciated and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob and there's a link to that in the show notes as well. But anyway, I am going to continue on my walk. Oh, it's beautiful. Can you hear the river? So nice. I might start doing the outdoor intros more often. This is really fun, actually. But anyway, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a lovely week and we'll be back in next Tuesday with another episode of Just Get A Real Job. Just get a real job.